And now, for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, content marketers, and welcome to episode number 14, recorded on February 18th, 2014, of PNR's This Old Marketing. As always, if you end up liking the show, please do consider subscribing via the iTunes or Stitcher links, and please consider giving us a review. Good or bad, we want to hear from you. We'd love to get more reviews on iTunes. Links to the subscriptions, plus all the stories, of course, we talk about today and for all time, you can find in our show post on our very own, very fancy little corner of the CMI universe, thisoldmarketing.com. And also, as always, I'm here with my good friend and colleague, Joe Polizzi, our own rock and roll Cleveland rocks god of content marketing. Joe, how are you, my friend? I read that about uh, Cleveland today and almost had a heart attack. The end of Cleveland rocks. I'll tell you what, sometimes people make a big deal out of nothing. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, the the article, which we'll, we'll link to in the in the notes for the show, but basically said that Cleveland is moving away. Positively Cleveland, which is the... Um, organization within Cleveland that tries to bring in more travel and tourism says they're going to move away from the Cleveland Rocks mantra. And, uh, well, I guess, first of all, does that mean anything to you being in Los Angeles? Well, you know, I mean, I absolutely adore Cleveland Rocks. As a, you know, I mean, of course, it brings back Drew Carey. And it, I mean, it just, I mean, there's so much to me, there's, you know, I mean, it, there's so much identity with Cleveland in that you know, and, and the rock and roll sort of idea there. So I don't have any particular, you know, attachment to the, to the tagline, but I, but I do, I think I'll miss it a little bit. I don't know what the new slogan's going to be. I mean, of course we work with Positive Cleveland quite closely, great group of people. And, and we knew that they were going to do this big research project to figure out what the new direction is for Cleveland and our new branding campaign and all that great stuff to bring in new meetings and and new tourism into Cleveland. I need I need to know what it is first and then I'll give <laughs> right. you I'd be completely honest with the take. But it's it's funny when I saw this I talked to uh, Andrew Dave our friend Andrew Davis author of Brandscaping a couple weeks ago about this and he's doing a lot of work on what spurs a revolution around some core initiative in a city or in a location and how that works and he used the he used Warsaw, Indiana, actually, as his example, which I didn't know was the orthopedic capital of the world. Well, there you have it. Well, and and why is that? Because <laughs> because in you know years and years ago, they had a couple companies that manufactured uh, orthopedic uh, supplies, and they said, "Oh, we have something here, and this could be a big thing." And they they created a whole content program around orthopedic supplies and started to educate the world about the importance of these supplies and some of the issues that people face that they need these things and whatever. And lo and behold, in 10, 20, 30 years, they now, there are now more orthopedic manufactured goods and supplies in Warsaw, Indiana than anywhere else in the world. And, Fascinating. They, and they created this revolution about it. Right. Yeah. So it's, that's what I thought of with this. And I'm like, you know, if it's not and according to the article, it's not driving tourism for them or it's not, it's not an indicator that's going to get more people to the city, but I like the fact that Cleveland is built around rock and roll, and it's something we're well known for. And moving away from that is a, is a is a risk, I think. Yeah. So yeah. Well, I, I like I said, I'm going to miss it a little bit. Maybe they'll come up with something that's uh, that's fascinatingly beautiful, wonderful. Maybe they'll come up with something even better than rock and roll. But I got to <laughs> tell you, so 
if you if you read the comments of the article, <laughs> oh, I know you have to be from Cleveland too. Yeah, it's, right. It's, it's, the one was Cleveland. It's within 500 miles of some really great cities. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. And of yeah. Course, of course, I'm a big Cleveland lover. So yeah, it's piling on, Maybe, right? Anyways, we'll see. Anyway, on goes. to the news. Yeah. On to the news. All right. Well, our first news item. Hey, so uh, Jimmy Fallon takes over for the Tonight yeah. Show, moves it to New York. And actually does something really interesting from a content marketing perspective. So General Electric is actually going this article from Fierce CMO, and we'll put the link in the show notes, of course. But General Electric is actually going to have an installment, a native advertising spot, if you will, on The Tonight Show. Um, the first one is going to be a uh, on the 19th, so literally tomorrow night um, as we record this on the 18th. And so we'll have run by the time the show comes out on Saturday. But basically, it's content marketing. So Jimmy Fallon's new Tonight Show, Run Out of New York, is going to have GE-sponsored content marketing um, called Fallonventions, um, which is just an awesome, awesome title, going into the episodes of his show. What do you think? You know, I'm torn. Uh, it makes sense to me uh, that because Jimmy Fallon will <laughs> will integrate with anything, it seems, and has yeah. fun with it. And is creative with it. I mean, when they launched, what was the? They did. He did the thing with Will Smith on the opening, which was uh, the um, the evolution of dance, hip hop dance. That, yeah, yeah. Which, was, yeah. <laughs> which is making its way around social media right now, which is which is fantastic. You know, if I'm GE, I would want to do this. If I was more brands, I would want to do this. I would say, hey, I don't just want to sponsor. I don't just want to advertise. I want to be part of the show. I want to be part of the stream. I mean, this is exactly, I mean, when you look at the definition of native advertising, this is it. It's right. I want to be along with the content. That's everything else. Seamless I be, with the flow of the content. Seamless with the flow of the content. My God, this is exactly native advertising. And we'll talk later about stuff that isn't native advertising. Right, but, exactly. But here, here's this issue. And I would hope that they're getting a big a uh, big bump in revenue from this because this is extremely valuable. And at the same time, you've got to have some responsible oversight from a creativity standpoint. Absolutely. And if there's anybody who can pull that off, it's him, right? I mean, you know, to your point about, you know, this is the guy who brought us, you know, what is it? The, the, this, the slow wrapping or this, you know, this, 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 all of that. And, and basically the, the history of the hip hop dance. And I mean, just a super creative guy who can, bring this in but for GE I think this is just a, a you know I mean it does not surprise me that GE does this because of all of the other innovative things that they're doing but the, the this is just a huge win for them I think is it I mean now thinking about it is it it's innovative for 2014 but this has been done I mean this is like along with the soap operas right I mean, well of is, course this is it but this is you know the the interesting thing here to me is well and you know and it's a, and it's an interesting point you bring up because what will be interesting to me is how GE then basically uses this right so you're right this is classic branded content product sponsorship that goes back to the soap opera you know and of course the, the whole theme of this entire show but the what is new and innovative here is how they're actually taking advantage of a broadcast television show and only taking a spot of it, you know? I mean, now you think about it, right? And think about the way that advertisers and sponsors used to be on The Tonight Show. I mean, I can remember when Johnny Carson would stop in the middle of the show and read the spot from Alpo and literally a dog would come out in the middle and eat dinner 
And, you know, while they're doing that and they had a funny bit with the dog and Ed McMahon would, you know, drunkenly sort of go off and, you know, (laughs) say something about the dog. But they would have an inserted spot right in there, like in line with the show. But it was it was so obviously a sponsored spot, which, you know, so, for example, the the the, somebody brought up to me the other day, the Jerry Seinfeld uh, uh, comedians with car in cars getting coffee. Yep. Where they talk, he talks about the Acura being content marketing. I don't think it is. That's a wonderful product placement, and it's creative and innovative and fun, and it's the neat way that he's done product, you know, sponsorship. But it's not seamlessly into the context of the content. It, now it remains to be seen how they actually get the GE brand, if at all, in here. But the to me, the interesting thing here is how they actually sponsor the content without overtly making themselves an advertisement mm-hmm. for what GE is doing. Yeah, I guess I'd have to see if there are owned a- or assets that GE owns or right. is allowed to license exactly. freely to attract their own audience. And the thing that, you know, before we go on to the next topic, the thing that I thought of immediately was, and I haven't even talked with you about this, but I've been doing some research on IBM and talking to a, a quite a few people. And what I've realized that they or heard about that they've done with a couple of publishers is they said, look, we want to buy a lot of advertising, but all our advertising, we wanted to promote our content. Our content on our sites written by our people. And this is yeah. not native at all, right? This is right. like, yeah. I'm just buying advertising to you know, put some, some distribution power around my content so that I can grow my audience, and it's a pure rent-to-own strategy. That's so, right. so from this standpoint, it's almost like, hey, I'm renting out one of the greatest talents on television right now, Jimmy Fallon, and I'm going to get him to create some content for us. And we got to pay a little bit extra sponsorship, but we get lots of content. Right. I mean, <laughs> that's right. That we can that's do right. is in all kinds of different ways. Now, we don't know yet, but that's what I was thinking. Yeah, and we'll see. I mean, so I think that I, to, in my mind, I think this is a big win for GE, but only insofar as they can actually leverage it. As a you know, as a as a as a process over time. Yep. Yeah. Well, on to our next story, which is also on native advertising. Um, a couple of different articles here that you sent me, which are just fascinating. Which is, and I'm actually more intrigued by the second one than I am the first. But I'll but I'll just mention both headlines, and maybe you can you can I want I want to get your take on them. The first is the Guardian's unique take on native advertising. So here we are. We've heard from the New York Times, we've heard from Forbes, we've heard from you know major publishers here in the states, and now here we have the Guardian saying basically they're going to take on you know a space for native advertising as well, and they have a bit of a unique sort of approach that they're going to go for. And then the second article, which is related, which is Yahoo now talking about how they're going to use Tumblr that they acquired, of course. And they're going to use them for native advertising. So what is your take on sort of the relationship of these two things? Well, first of all, one of these days we're going to have to say no native advertising. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> but for yeah. some reason, it's hot right now. And yeah. it's weird that it, it's hot. It's actually starting to bother me. And we could talk about that if you want. But the So let's talk about The Guardian. Now, again, this is, in my opinion, this is native that's not native. This is not in-stream type of stuff. It's sponsored stuff. But what's really interesting about and they're talking, they announced their first client, Unilever. So this is a million dollar program that they're going to launch with them. Uh, first of all, I just have to state that, again, to everyone listening, a, a lot of this stuff is not new. I mean, right. we were working on programs at Pet Media in 2000, 2001 that were very similar to this and uh, and way before my time. So a lot of this is not new, what we're talking about. If we think about 
you know, advertorial or the next step. And I don't want to classify this as advertorial, but this is not a huge, huge leap. This is what really is interesting about the Guardian issue. Most native advertising programs or more content, more content marketing programs run by publishers, they have a different group of editors and content creators that work on the advertiser content versus the pure, you know, quote unquote, pure content, unbiased content, if you will. <laughs> Guardian's not doing that. Right. Which is really, this is the first, I don't know if this is the first that you've heard of this, but it's the first that I've heard of somebody coming out and said, yeah, if our journalists are going to work on content, we're going to, they're going to work on everything. There's no church and state in this. I mean, we've talked, you and I have both talked to publishing organizations that have separated the editors that work on native advertising versus traditional stuff, and they put them in separate buildings. That's right. So they don't talk to each other, and there's no contamination at all. And here we are. They're saying, "Oh, it's all good. We yeah. can work out. We can work on anything." So, I mean, I guess my first question is, "What's your take on that?" Because that is definitely a different take. Well, you know, and it's funny because I just watched the episode, and uh, you know, spoiler alert ahead if you haven't watched this episode of Girls, if you've not seen it, the, the show on HBO, which is only mildly annoying, but my wife watches it. So, um, is, are you talking about the it. GQ? The GQ comment. Yes, you know what I mean, and <laughs> yes. which is just and and then she had, so so she basically leaves her job at a coffee shop to go work for GQ, and the coffee shop manager basically says to her, "Oh, you're basically getting hired to go write advertorial for GQ because you know so who's the sponsor?" And she begrudgingly says that there is a sponsor, and then she gets there, and of course there's this whole little separate team of writers who are writing content that are sponsored content, and so it's it's interesting to me, you know, this whole idea that. The Guardian is basically saying, look, we've got journalists. They know how to write, and they're going to write sponsored content, and they're going to write unsponsored content, and yeah, they're, that's what they do. I like it. As a marketer, I like it, right? Now, as a someone who does you know, so and there are plenty of people out there who don't like this whole idea of native advertising and sort of the two church and state meeting, I can see they're going to be completely – up in arms about this. Now, that it's The Guardian doing this is kind of shocking to me, actually. That's the biggest surprise of all, that you know they would actually do this and be the first mover here. But as a marketing guy, I kind of like it. You know what I mean? Because it, 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 the more I can, you know, the whole idea of seamlessly moving my content into the stream, in other words, having Jimmy Fallon do my stuff, I like it because it, it helps me align my brand with their brand. And it's, I, you know, so as a marketer, I think it's a great idea. As a publisher, I have no idea how to react. I, yeah, well, I mean, the one thing I don't know, and this is what I was just thinking of, is when the content is created for Unilever, does, does Unilever get to approve it or change it? That's a big question. I mean, or, yeah, because that is then a it, huge it question. just becomes a sponsored section of the site if they don't have to. It's like, and that's like anything else. That's just like, I'm going to advertise your articles. I, basically, they're saying, I will fund articles on sustainability, but you, t- you do your journalism thing. Just, just, I just want to be associated with it. That's completely different than, yeah, I want your real editors and your journalists to write this stuff. And then, but you can't talk about that, or can you, can you massage it this way? That's a big deal. That's a. I'm just really interested to see how this goes. It'll be it'll be very interesting to see how to see how they react over time in this. Because the other question I have is does Unilever have any ownership of this content? Coming back to our discussion on oh, that's Jimmy Fallon, you know what I mean? It's can they use that content for other purposes? 
You know, yeah. are they buying the content or are they just buying the space? And that's a huge – that's more broadly speaking with native advertising. That's another interesting thing because when I write something and I get it placed into the stream – in other words, I write a long-form piece of content, but I'm p- paying for rental of the space to present it in. That's one thing. But when I have actually the company producing the content for me, do I get to – you know, do I get that content that I can reuse on my blog or as a white paper or as a – you know, yep. it's, a, it's an interesting question. Absolutely, and and so, can I just can I just rant on something for a sure? Second? Of course. So I clicked on so <laughs> nothing against our friends at Ad Age, but the Tumblr article that we're going to talk about right now is on Ad Age, and yeah. I'm blocked from watching it because I've looked at seven articles this month from Ad Age, and I can't look at another one until I register. Come on, man. Yeah. I mean, I come on. That's the rope. Velociraptor of business models. <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean that. Uh, I got a then, big old roadblock in my face right now, and now I gotta like try to hunch around it and see if I can get this article so we can actually conduct a podcast. This is just—I can't deal with this kind of constriction to my creativity. Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> and if there's one thing you don't want to do is constrict Joe's creativity. Don't constrict him. Okay. Well, all right. Let's talk about this. I can help you through this. I can help you through this, Joe. I, I can talk you through it. I can talk <laughs> you down, my friend. So Yahoo is touting Tumblr for native ads. Basically, Yahoo is coming out and saying, "Hey, yeah, remember that thing we bought, uh, Tumblr? We finally found a use for it. Hey, native advertising. That's hot. We should do that." Um, and so basically they've come out and said there's a really interesting way of going to market with this where we're going to use Tumble Blogs as ways for advertisers to create microsites, to assemble audiences, and basically give them capabilities that they may or may not have on their own. I mean similar take here as to, as to what, you, what you were just saying with The Guardian? Well, I am so cynical about this. I don't know if I've got the wrong take, so just make you know, put me in line if this is not right. So basically, Yahoo is they're they're creating content programs for their advertisers, and like any content agency out there, you'd say, okay, what's the content platform? What are we going to use? Is are we are we going to use an, a site? Are we going to use a social media channel? What's going to be the platform? In if you if you look at this traditionally, you'd say, "Oh, okay. Well, we might create a website, uh, or we might, uh, you know, put it on a blog or whatever." But they're saying, "Oh, we've got Tumblr, which is a really cool technology with all kinds of whiz bang publishing tools. Let's put the content there." Am I? That's what. That's all this says to me. That's that all it is, and that's it's all the, it and is, it's, right? It might be the. I mean, look. The amount of dumb ideas that come out of Yahoo never ceases to amaze me, but but this this one is this one ranks right up there. I mean, you know, look, I I I applaud what Marissa Meyer has been able to do over at Yahoo, but this is definitely not one of them. This is, you know, this is at least at its surface level, right? There may be a lot more here that we don't know about, but looking at this article, I look at it and go, look, that, do you not understand that the people who use Tumblr are a very specific audience and that going after Folgers Coffee or PNC Bank or somebody like that and saying, hey, here's a great addition. You, In addition to getting a banner ad on the front page of Yahoo, you can also have a Tumble blog where you can put all this wonderful content. I, 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 I just fail to see how that becomes a 
anything of of value, you know, over over unless they do something just amazing with it. Uh, but I, I even then, because what they're saying is, is that the differentiator, of course, is that we'll help them create the content. Well, come on, I mean, you know that uh, they're. There are too many great resources for creating content out there, including the brands themselves and including their own ability to go out and sign up for a Tumble blog and create this. They've, you know, it, this is one of those things where you're going to go to the advertiser and go, hey, we can create it. Yeah, we kind of tried that like four years ago and it didn't work. Well, if you're going to do this, you might as well put it on your own site and own it. Right, right. Don't have Yahoo own it and put it on their own properties. You, you, you should own it. So don't don't relinquish that much control. I, you know, I'm I'm sorry. The maybe I'm just in a mood today, but the, the whole idea with um the, with this push on native and actually it probably just goes into your next article. It's a really good segue where I think this is a whole lot to do about nothing. We're making this big deal about native, and most this is a non-story. And I think the point that we reason why I wanted to talk about is everybody's pushing this whole native thing, and in a lot of cases. This is this is just no big deal. Exactly, I, I don't get it. So talk I, about the next one because well, think this, this is really I mean, this is you know, so it's it's rare for me to actually go, wow, Forrester, what an awesome article. Um, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to actually uh, do it. There's a Forrester blog by Ryan Skinner, who actually is a really smart analyst, and he wrote a blog post this week. And big hat tip, by the way, to Douglas Burdett. A uh, friend of the family of the CMI family, who's been to many of our events and 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 also a couple of master classes, who's just a really smart guy, who actually sent me this link and wanted to get my opinion on it. And basically, the blog post is called "Does Native Advertising Face a Three Billion Dollar Question?" And his point in the blog post, which I think is just exactly what you're talking about, Joe, is is ostensibly he says, basically, there's a lot of noise going on around this whole native advertising and nobody knows what's really going on here. And what what fascinated with me uh, about this was he actually brings um, something that I've used before in talks, which is this, uh, it's called Sayer's Law. And it's based on this guy, William Sayer, who was a political scientist uh, uh, who basically has this law that, that says, in any dispute, the intensity of feeling is inversely proportional to the values of the issues at stake. In other words, that's why we have these deep-seated arguments over <laughs> what restaurant we should go to. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. they're basically – we have these huge, intense arguments over stuff that doesn't mean anything at all. And – that's what he's really pointing to is this idea that there's a lot of vitriol and, and noise being generated about the idea of native advertising. And then he uses the metaphor of the old hedgehog and the fox by saying basically, look, the hedgehog is going to come out and say, without a doubt, this is what we should believe on native advertising. And you're seeing a lot of that right now. And the fox is actually out there collecting information and making a more complex argument and business case and and sort of over time it's a really good blog post i thought basically sort of putting the sanity back into this whole idea of native advertising although i will say he ends up by saying the hedgehog and the fox and he misses a huge pun which of course i'm a huge fan of of course and he says basically he at the end he says you know this all reminds me of the hedgehog and the fox and we have to ask ourselves what would the fox think and if he had just said what would the fox say it would have been just awesome. <laughs> I can't believe he missed that, actually. Well, I don't know if he missed it or just Forrester didn't let him or he felt like he couldn't do it. But it was just, I mean, I was just like, oh, right there. It's just right there. It, it just feels like um, 
there's a lot of n brands out there that are, and, and this is okay, right? This is a lot of experimentation. A lot of brands dipping their toe in the water. There's a lot of publishers coming in with some great opportunities, like you pointed out. I mean, they're opening up opportunities that they've never done before in stream, around stream, whatever you want to call it. And if there's an opportunity to do that and you're a marketer, you should look at it. Uh, my concern, and it's the same thing that we saw when brands were jumping into social media channels and had no content marketing strategy, we're seeing the same thing. Oh, well, what are we going to talk about here? And how are we going to measure? And then are they even looking at how they're going to measure it? Which I don't know. Are they measuring? How are they measuring engagement from native advertising? Right. I'm really not sure how they're doing it right now. So I guess I would just say tread lightly, but start with a strategy, uh, at least understanding how the native um, tactic of native can fit into your overall strategy. And I think that's an opportunity. I guess I would say for publishers, because I mean, I've got. I mean, that's where my background is on the publishing side. We've been struggling with it at CMI, and right now we've taken the stance of not doing anything. Yeah. Because it's a, it's a risk. It's a risk as a publisher to basically say, yep, you can have my stream. It's yours. That's almost right. like opening up a 30-second a spot for an infomercial. Some companies do it. Some people don't. I mean, those infomercials can be really, really good, but at the end of the day, that's what they are. And you might lose some audience, and and, if, and you do, and that's one of the risks. One of the risks you take. Uh, I mean, I would like to look at it and say, hey, we can generate more audience. And I know there's there's not a lot of publishers that listen to this, more marketers. But boy, if you're a publisher in this, I, I just would make sure that we test this out and make sure it is the right thing long term for the uh, for the business plan. Yeah. Well, I think, and that's the major takeaway for me too, is, you know, from the marketer side, you know, sort of advising marketers is tread lightly here. You know, right now, I think as you start experimenting with native advertising, it's a great, it's a great way to look at content promotion, right? So if you're trying to promote content and there's, you know, you're looking at paid options in order to promote content and build an audience that you can aggregate and own, then this is an interesting way to to start to do that. But that becomes the basis of your calls to action and what you're trying to achieve with a native advertising program. Um, and just tread lightly, you know, test it, use it like it, you know, it, it, it really is right now a media buy and you should think of it that way. Well, and the one thing, and I, w I did, today was interview day. I did four interviews and a couple of them talked to me about, you know, where, where, where do a lot of brands miss the boat on metrics and measurement? And I always bring up subscription. And you and I have talked yep. about it. And that's my thing, right? I always talk about the idea of subscription. That's where owned content on your own site and actually gaining a loyal following of subscribers makes a difference. Because if you're looking at how I'm going to measure this, if you can say what's the difference between a subscriber and, not, and somebody that doesn't subscribe to our content, and you can then look at that against your CRM system, you can tell the difference. It what's is the measurable. name of the what's the name of the the uh the magazine that Kraft produces? I forget. Uh, Food and Family. Food and Family. The, the I love this statistic so much. It 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 it's crazy how much I love this statistic where Julie Fleischer says that she now has more subscribers to that magazine than watch Food Network, the television network. And what that gives her the ability to do is she's got a she owns an audience that's bigger than the place that she might otherwise advertise. That's right. And that's our goal, right? That's our right. goal as and marketers. So literally, she could go out to Food Network and say, you know what? You should be advertising with us. It, and it's the same thing. I mean, look at, what, look at what Red Bull has done. 
I mean, we yeah. talked about it last with with the television, uh, Red Bull TV on Apple and Red Bulletin. I mean, they are growing an audience, and that's where that's why I like what IBM's doing because IBM's creating their own content on their own platforms, and they're driving people to that content by paying for it in some cases on publisher sites. Yep. But then they're getting subscribers and they're getting that's their right. own audience there because someday, and not that there's anything against advertising, there's there may be still a reason to advertise, but they don't have to advertise. Right. That's what I they don't have to because they have that's their right. own audience. It's you know it's the Jonathan Mildenhall who has I, I I quote this all the time. He said this to me in the interview, and I just I, I think it's such an elegant way to say it. The reason for him to create the the content excellence and the content twenty twenty project, the more he can engage audiences, the less he has to trade on it. So it's not that he's not going to do advertising; it's that he can just do less of it. And, and that's the, just a that's just a beautiful thing. And for those people that are new to the show, Jonathan Mildenhall is with Coca Cola. So, that's right. So that's right. All right. Well, let's right. move on. Let's move on. Okay. So, Joe, I have a question for you. Okay. All right. What you got? Jay Z. You know Jay Z. Of course. Jay Z, the, the the wonderful rap uh, rap star. So, is Jay Z hyphenated or not hyphenated? Oh, Jay Z. I would say not a hyphen. You would be correct, sir. At least according to the BuzzFeed new guide. BuzzFeed, our favorite friends that are creating all sorts of viral content, um, have released a new AP style guide, right? So you remember when Yahoo had their version of the uh, style guide that sort of mirrored the AP style guide of old, and now BuzzFeed has come out with their own style guide. Um, and they all they cover all manner of things like should Jay Z be and I'm not kidding should Jay Z be hyphenated or not how to spell Kim Ye which is of course the joined Kim Kardashian and Kanye West uh, sort of oh my buzzword gosh. I guess I'm not <laughs> kidding it's actually the spelling is correctly put in there but they also put in other things too right so all kinds of things about how to do dates and numbers and 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 it's a you know i got to say it's a it's you know it's it's a pretty uh, it's a pretty robust style book for how to write in a journalistic way and as they said in this article where they're sort of announcing the launch of it their goal is not meant to cover all elements of grammar and journalism style and they basically make a lot of references of course to the ap style book but they actually override a lot of those things based on popular culture and how things are being used now and all of that, you know, and how digital media has really shaped and social media and abbreviations and all of these things that we're sort of now entering the popular vocabulary are starting to to uh, to enter into, you know, the way we create content. I think it's a I think it's a really interesting thing. You what is your take on this? The, when, when I first <laughs> uh, when I first read this article, I said this is this like for the dumbification of America? Is that what this is for? There are and, so many uh, other things that are dumbifying America. This is, actually, this is, I, I mean, if, when you think about it, I mean, but think about what they cover, and they and if they they do a lot of celebrity journalism as well, and, and of course, and, I mean, the fave, faved, faving, favoriting. Yeah, right. I mean, exactly, fave this right? tweet. I mean, there we actually use that uh, terminology today, and you've got writers and journalists that are saying, okay, well, what's the consistency? I mean, we have our own style guide for content. What is the conjugation yeah. of fave? <laughs> <laughs> I just, but yes, I could see how it'd be incredibly helpful. And part of me scratching my head saying, I can't believe it's come to this, but you know what? The, here we go. Yeah. Here we go. It's going to get uh, worse. Uh, I do it for we, the lulls, man. I do it for the I, lulls. 
I'll tell you, there's got to be somebody from the New Yorker just scratching their heads. <laughs> I can't believe it's come to this. Well, that there we go. All right, so it is now time for, uh, well, our favorite part of the show is the rants and raves section of the show where Joe and I get to go off on a bit of a topic, either talking about something that has really crawled up our skirt and uh, we're looking to rant about it a bit or something that we absolutely love. Um I'm going to go first uh, this week, and I'm going to talk about a rave. I've had a couple of rants of the last couple of weeks, and I just found something this week that I just want to rave about. Um, And it's being done by Vans. Um, And I wore Vans as a kid, so I've got a special affinity to this brand. But I didn't know this was out there. I actually got a hat tip, uh, uh, a heads up, rather, to that this actually existed. And I went out, and I, I ended up spending an hour and a half on this website. They've created a, a complete content documentary series called Living Off the Wall. And we'll put the, show, the link in the show notes, of course, but it's livingoffthewall.vans.com. And there are 12 episodes, and I've gotten through about three of them. Um, and they are basically just documentary uh, filmmaking of all of these cultures that are sort of out there, right? They they talk about the punk rock culture. There's one about this sort of culture of the U.S. in Russia. There's all these East L.A. Uh, uh, cultures. They are basically the demographic that are wearing Vans shoes, but there's no mention of Vans shoes. There's no mention of Vans clothing anywhere, really, other than the sort of sponsored and driven by at the very beginning of the show. It's just a fascinating documentary, and I literally spent an hour and a half on it and then beyond that, the site and the interface and everything about it is just beautiful. The photography is beautiful. The site is beautiful. It performs well. It's just such first-rate content marketing that I I just have to give it a huge rave. It's just really well done. It's visually stunning. Uh, do you know if they did this themselves or I don't. I'm starting. I mean, I literally just found out about this yesterday, and I've been going through trying to find out who's responsible for it, who Advance is actually driving this as an initiative because I want to find out because it's really really well done. Yeah, I think that this we definitely need to to look at this a little bit more because this is this is amazing stuff. I mean, and obviously they know their target. I mean, we talk about buyer personas all the time and really focusing on a core niche uh, when you're going uh, and creating a content marketing strategy, and this is it. I mean, they found a, a compelling story here. It's, it's, well, the interesting it's thing stuff. to me was because the first thing I did was I went out to social media because they, they basically tee it up with the title is as you know, the logo of the title is a hashtag, right? So they clearly want you to socialize this. So I went out and actually searched the hashtag, and you know, it's the the kids are reacting in the right way, right? Nobody's going, ah, they put a bunch of ads or, ah, you know, there's not a lot of snarky comments about this at all. Of course, there's a lot of people in our inside baseball world going, wow, this is a great campaign. Wow, this is really interesting. But the kids that are out there talking about it going, wow, this is a really cool documentary. Hey, check out this thing on punk rock. It's really interesting. So they're actually getting the right kind of reaction, it would seem. Well, it's interesting. Yeah, I, th- I think we should do some more research on it. And uh, hats off to them for yeah, hats for off, creating for something sure. special. And yeah, I mean, yeah. When, when I hit the page, I was I was blown away by the visuals. And I actually want to check it out on the iPad and see how it see how it and, and on the uh, on the iPhone and see what it looks like. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. What about you? Uh, you know, this is. <laughs> 
This is one of those weeks. You man. are in a mood today. I am. I'm sorry. I'm in a mood. So we'll, we'll see what kind of feedback we get off of this. Like, Joe, what's wrong? Somebody's going to send me flowers or something like that. Um, so I don't know if you heard about this. You, you know, you, I, I told you about the whole Groupon thing. So Groupon did a post on President's Day. Uh, talking about, uh, let me bring up the original post so I get the headline. Groupon celebrates President's Day by honoring Alexander Hamilton. And uh, for the, I guess for the 25% of the people in the United States that know that Alexander Hamilton was not a president. Um, so they did, they did this whole thing. Hey, uh, starting tomorrow, Groupon will be kicking off President's Day uh, by... Uh, by honoring one of our greatest presidents ever, Alexander Hamilton, undeniably one of the most widely recognized for establishing the country's financial system. So they're going on and on about the president, who is not the president. Right. Indeed. Okay, so they do this, right? And then I see it. It's all over Facebook. And Actually I, shot a vice president. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they didn't mention that. You get yeah. an extra five bucks if you know right. that, I guess. But they're going through. And, and then I looked at who covered this. Uh, Politico, CNN, Time, the Tribune. Tribune. Just to name a few that yeah. covered this, that group on and links to the article and... So like it or not, you know, Groupon got a lot of publicity off of this and then went back later in Tribune actually broke this and said, uh, you know, Groupon said, oh, I know it was wrong, uh, but we were just having fun with it and uh, doing it as a stunt. And I guess here's the issue that I'm having with the stunt itself, because I've seen all these and I'm sure you've seen them as well on Facebook. So many uh, Americans and and human beings that don't know things like, uh, you know, they talk about the sun travels around the earth type of a thing. <laughs> you right, know, it's just right. like, and, and this stuff doesn't help because I'm sure there were, you know, many people right away said, oh, yeah, President Hamilton, that was great. And I just don't like any kind of content than they did that misleads people. I don't know. I mean, what do you think? Do you, do you think it was just fun? Or no, do you think I that- think this is idiotic. I mean, I think, you know, if it's almost worse that that's, that they said that they did it on purpose. You know, to me, because, you know, if they had basically said, oops, wow, did we goof. I mean, there was probably a way for them to say we goofed and do it in a way that would make the brand endearing in that way. And if they and and even if they had done it on purpose to come out with that and say we goofed to do it in an endearing way, but to come out and basically go. Yeah, f you. We goofed, right? We did. This is this is. We basically lied to you know to do this. So you know that is just it's just uh, it's a crazy thing. It's just this is it might be the dumbest thing I've I've heard in a while. I just can't see. I mean, I I can't. Now watch. In a couple of days, we'll see that they had record people use that coupon. Uh, yeah, right. And then of we'll course. all be wrong, but I cannot see the upside. Well, of this. I don't even know that we're wrong then. Even if it works, I don't know that it worked, right? You know what I mean? It's like one of those things where, you know, if this is if if this is what they think is going to create a last, you know, this is one of those crazy things where something stupid goes viral and something stupid actually, you know, uh can can succeed and even in success you can have failure where now you're trapped into this thing, right? I mean, I, and I won't name the campaign, but I, I've, I knew of a, a particular campaign where this company created the campaign with the sole purpose of basically creating it for this one-off thing. And the ad agency got really behind it and said, we want to actually make this thing go viral. 
And so, and they did. They were successful in making it go viral. But because it was so successful, now they're stuck in this creative of, – of using this creative and this campaign sort of for their approach, for their entire approach. And so if this works for whatever reason, all it does is feed this to, – to your point, all it does is feed this idea that, hey, we can be idiots and succeed. And man, is that just a recipe for failure. I just I I I have nothing but like the 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 most dire of warnings for yeah. for this kind of thing. I just man, we just we have all the we we have so much opportunity with the way we can publish and reach people today. I just wish we treat it more responsibly. It just yeah. frustrates me. So. Well, you know, and that goes back to that great Anne Handley post that she wrote not too long ago, where we and we actually I think it was a, a, a topic of a rant that I did, you know, of a few weeks ago. Where we talked about, you know, now that we all can publish, we all actually have the responsibility of publishers. That's right. You Amen. know, and and that's the and that's the real key here. Okay. Well, we have a question that came in, um, and I it's a user question. And I want to just tee it up really quickly here. We don't have to spend a ton of time on it because I don't think we need to spend a ton of time on it. But I thought it was an interesting enough question that we should address it on the show. It came in from through Twitter, actually, through a woman um, named Jennifer Tribe. You can see her on Twitter at at Jennifer Tribe. And she actually asked you directly. She said, what are your thoughts on net neutrality and implications for content marketing? She's perplexed. Perplexed, I say as to why this isn't being discussed more. So what say you, Joe Polizzi? Why is she perplexed? Should we be talking about net neutrality more? Well, and I responded to her, and I said, I have no idea. Let me ask Robert. <laughs> That's <laughs> really what I said here. No, I, I mean, you, you have uh, more lineage in this area. Why don't you talk a little bit about it, and then I'll give you my take as, as, as it goes. Yeah, so I, you know, my, my take on this is that you know, for content marketing, it is being discussed quite a bit outside of content marketing. I mean, there's a there's a lot of discussion. And so if you're interested, by the way, those of you who don't know what net neutrality is, I'm not going to even attempt to give it a thorough coverage here. But basically, it is about the idea that bandwidth providers, in other words, your lovely Comcasts and Time Warners, who are named now the same company, um, which is why it's sort of rearing its head again, and other cable providers that are providing you internet access into your home, as well as providing, by the way, big block uh, bandwidth to larger companies like Google and Yahoo and those kinds of companies, are looking to be able to charge different rates for different types of data. And so they may want to charge Netflix more for video content than they would charge an email provider for email data and so on and so forth. And ultimately, this is going down the road of where you might actually have a cable provider saying, we'll provide you with bandwidth, but we're only going to give you X percent of video bandwidth before we charge you more. And then you're going to have email bandwidth, which is going to charge you X amount, et cetera, et cetera. And people are rightfully, I believe, up in arms about it. And if you want to get involved with the net neutrality discussion, I couldn't encourage you more to go get involved through the EFF, that's the Electronic Frontier Foundation, which you can find, I believe, at EFF.org and other uh, types of organizations who are really covering this issue in, in some detail. I don't think it has a lot of relevance right now to content marketing only because it, it's just now reaching sort of the user level and sort of the, the highest levels of covering, you know, people like Google and Netflix and people who use a lot of bandwidth for very specific purposes have big dogs in this fight. Content marketers at the moment don't. Um, you know, we're, 
we have other things that we're dealing with right now. So I, I can see why it's not a huge piece of why, you know, what's being discussed in content marketing circles. But I think ultimately it could have some relevance as as this thing progresses further. So those of you who care about those things, please go get involved with your Congress critter and you know write letters and let them know how you feel and and um, one way or the other. Um, and uh, uh, otherwise, I don't think it has a ton of implications. But, in but terms the of issue for content marketing, right marketing is: would there be preferential treatment over the content from? That's right. Let's a brand versus a traditional media company. Let's say that's, that's right. And if about, we're right? at the right, that's exactly right. And 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 to the extent that. You know, at some point we might have to pay more to get a particular piece of content in a particular format to a particular audience in a particular way. Yeah, but I think we're we're a ways off from that now, and this will happen regardless of what the tiny little community around content marketing says it yep. should happen. And so, I think the way if you are interested in sort of getting involved in this issue one way or the other, it is not through a content marketing lens; it is through a much larger lens of, you know, content more broadly. Yeah, I think that if it came to that, the content marketing lens, as you say, we've got major issues. Yeah, exactly. Well, we, that's right. We just talked last week about the idea that the FTC can't really get a, a handle on what advertising is. That's so right. So if we have that problem, you think we're going to have a problem with which content is more valuable and not, or should have preferential treatment? Oh, that's that's a little scary. So that's exactly go. right. That's exactly right. All right. On to our namesake for the show, This Old Marketing. And Joe, I know you have a very interesting you know, This Old Marketing we're, example. We're, gonna, we're breaking news here. This is, we're, we're breaking some news. And I need to give a shot. Now, the, this has is, this is shattered my world a little bit. Because as you know, I've probably done 10,000 presentations where I've talked about John Deere. <laughs> and I've talked right. about John Deere in 1895 and the furrow being the first documented example of content marketing, blah, blah, blah. And and my good friend here, uh, Eric St. Pierre, which I'm calling, my, I'm hoping he wants, I want him to be my good friend because I want to know more about this. He sent this to me a couple weeks ago and I've been sitting on it and just trying to wrap my head around it and, and doing some research. But here's what we found. So this is uh, basically Eric works for a company called Hartford Steam Boiler. Uh, and in November of 1867, Hartford Steam Boiler Inspection and Insurance Company published Volume 1, Number 1 of The Locomotive. The Locomotive provides technical information to help equipment owners and operators manage risk and solve operation problems. Well, how about that? Oh, I know. I mean, I get chills. Just, I mean, this is the geek I am in this. <laughs> yeah, right. It is said to be the country's oldest company magazine continuously published under the same name. It was originally distributed in print and is now maintained online. And so, I, of course, I you know, went online to check it out, and uh, you know, it's quite impressive. I mean, they've got a, a very nice library of content. Uh, they've been doing it for quite a while. They, they leverage their internal experts on, on doing it, and I almost feel like I need to go rewrite our history of content marketing because we found a new example. I mean, I don't, I don't really know what to do. I, I mean, I guess what I'm going to do is I'm going to find out more information and we're going to make sure that this is legit, but it certainly seems legit from every piece that, of research I found. And it's just interesting to know we've got an older piece of content marketing out there. I love it. I absolutely love it. I mean, we're going to, you know, we're going to eventually get to the point. I mean, I think this is one of those things that's just going to evolve over time. And pretty soon we're going to be going, you know, that Neanderthal guy, Boo, <laughs> in the cave in France was actually putting together his, you know, hunting party magazine back in 
<laughs> you know what? I you know we should take this seriously. I think we have to put everyone listening to this. We need your help. We need now an older example than 1867. Now, there you now go. it's shown that there's more out there. Now is is Hartford the oldest? Now I I can't say that anymore with any certainty because my reality is is broken around me now. <laughs> <With Yeah. John laughs> Deere, I have to pick up the content marketing pieces. And put together, oh my gosh! Uh, put together the history here. So we have to, to reconstruct. We, yeah. we have to we have to reconstruct you creatively as well as build build back the broken pieces of Joe Pulitzer. Hopefully, that is hopefully make me better. And what is that million dollar man thing? Anyway, there it is. We'll we'll move on. But that's interesting, and more to come on this example. Absolutely. Well, where are you coming next week? Are you are you are you able to reconstruct yourself, or uh, are you are you on the road again? Actually, I believe I'm speaking at the same conference that you are, Intelligent Content Conference. That is correct. Which is Scott Abel's uh, wonderful conference. I've never been to his conference before, so I'm really looking forward to it, and uh, it should be quite interesting. I hear they're going to have 400 or so delegates in San Jose, so I'm looking forward to making this trip. And actually, this now starts. I mean, I will be pretty much on the road until mid-April, so it's it's gonna be it's gonna be hairy. But I've enjoyed yeah, the time at home, me. and of course, we you know the kids were home from school again today because yeah. we had another foot of snow that landed on us in Cleveland. So there you go. Well, how about, how about you, are you, are you? So you're I'm gonna see you there next week, and then uh, you are gonna see you? me there next week. You are absolutely gonna see me there next week, and I'm doing um, doing a talk on technology of all things. Um, at uh, at the conference and enjoying my last few days here in the sunny, warm climes of Southern California, where I also, starting March, the beginning of March, will begin my trek of every week of travel. So I'm, I will be a road warrior like yourself. So, yeah, so we have that to look forward to. And, and well, just a reminder to everyone, Content Marketing World Sydney, end of, uh, end of March, uh, registrations are really picking up. So all you friends in the Asia-Pacific area, make sure you go sign up. It's going to be a fantastic show. Absolutely, Will. Absolutely. Well, that is it for Joe Polizzi. This is Robert Rose signing off. And remember, if you'd like your question answered on the show, tag us on Twitter. Hashtag This Old Marketing. That's what Jennifer did. And look, she got her question answered. She's not perplexed anymore. Okay. And or send an email to thisoldmarketingatcontentinstitute.com. This was episode number 14 recorded on February 18th, 2014. Also, if you like this episode, we hope you'll consider not only giving us a review on iTunes, but subscribe via iTunes or Stitcher.com. All those links plus the show notes available at thisoldmarketing.com. Remember, folks, it is your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing. 